When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Everybody and welcome to the show. It's made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Today, we're joined by a winner and a man who has made people around him winners. Johnny Lewis is our greatest ever boxing trainer, a living legend of Australian sport who has guided six world champions, and some of them among the biggest names to have stepped in the ring. He's been bestowed the Order of Australia Medal and inducted into the Sport Australia and Boxing Halls of Fame. Johnny, welcome, and thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you, Sam. Timing is funny at times, isn't it? A few days ago, one of your old protégés in Jeff Fennick was in the news for a motivational video he sent to the Socceroos, Johnny. And in explaining it, Jeff said, looking back at his career, that he wanted to win more for you than for himself. Now, I imagine that's the ultimate accolade for a coach or a trainer, isn't it? Oh, most certainly. You know, it was um, we were very close. Um I can still remember when we had his first world title attempt. I'd um, I knocked it back a few times, but Morty was hounding me, and um, I asked him to get the last three fights that the Japanese opponent had. And um, anyhow, when I seen him, I thought, well, Jeff's up to this task. And uh, I, I rang Bill. I said, mate, put that fight on. And um, when, um, you know, the, as they picked winners prior to the event, uh, the only one person in the fight game that <clears throat> gave us a chance was Jimmy Carruthers and um, and uh, I remember I was in the dressing room with Jeff and I said Jeff mate I'm, they're going to hang me tomorrow if you don't win this <laughs> He said, they won't be hanging there. He said, I'm going to I'm going to give it to him. And uh, it, it was just a um, few little words that, you know, Jeff uh, finished up. They stopped it in about the ninth round, I think. As we go on today, Johnny, I'm, I'm really keen to get to tap into your philosophies and your strategies behind motivating elite sports people. I mean, what's the methodology really behind, behind what Jeff's saying there? Is it about you showing the faith knowing that that faith will be paid back? Look, um, I always always tried to be there. Um, you know, I didn't want them missing days and then still thinking they're going to fight. Um, so the, the first thing was that I always had to be there every day. And um, uh, they were, the word discipline was, uh, was the key to it all. Like, it wouldn't matter. Like One of them could have punched hard. One of them could have been faster of hand and foot, uh, another one tough. Uh, but without discipline, none of them would have had success. Mm. But, uh, you know, we we did that together. And uh, I think 
a lot of trust too, you know, when you, like, um, I remember Jeff Harding, I knocked the Andre's fight back on about three or four occasions. And then I got a call from a friend in America that told me that um, Andre's had took his foot off the accelerator thinking that he wasn't going to get a fight. He said, mate, if I was you, I'd accept. And uh, that was how we, we got that one, you know. it's But everything's about when and where and, and, and how you are at that moment. Johnny, yours is a journey in every sense. So let's, let's go back to go forward, if you don't mind. A home was in Erskineville and in a suburb of Sydney, for those unfamiliar. Your mum, Marge, your dad, Alfred. What was Erskineville like in the 50s as a kid? Oh, great. You know, I... I'm still in Erskineville, and um, I, um, yeah, it, it is my home. I, I love it. What sort of beginnings were they, John? I, I think I, I was reading you grew up in a commission flat there. Were these, as they say, humble beginnings? Were they were they occasionally tough times looking back, or you were pretty rough and ready as a kid? Um, you, you know, the best way I can uh, sound that out is the fact that when we were kids, we had nothing. But we had everything. Kids today have got everything, but they got nothing. And um, mm. we were a mile in front. Yeah, if we got a bike, it was either someone pinched it for you or left it around or whatever, whatever. But uh, we would never have had money to buy a bicycle. We couldn't even get footballs or cricket bats. You just fell along them on the way, you know. And um, so, um, yeah, you, you know, when you get when you've got good parents, it makes life easier and the learning curves are always there and you know there's things that you learn that you could have done but you knew it would break your mother's heart um you the love of your parents uh, molds a lot of things too yeah yeah it is said in your biography uh with paul kent johnny that you mixed with hustlers and hard men but that you never met a bad bloke there's never been a bad bloke in Eskimo. <laughs> and did you have a paper round of sorts or what was your first if i can classify that as a job what was that your first job uh, when we was at school uh i had a paper run and um and i used to um i used to do the scoreboard at Eskimo oval and uh Weekends and um, I um, at half time I had a big tray full of lollies and I'd walk around the hill and, and I used to yell out sweets, chips, chocks, peanuts <laughs> and sell the lollies. <laughs> <laughs> and I was I don't know if this is the case, but did you get out to the coaches' addresses at the quarter breaks from time to time to listen to them? Oh, very much so, particularly in the AFL. The um, at quarter time and uh, three quarter time, they'd stay out in the field, but um, at half time they'd go inside like the uh, rugby league coaches and that did. But yeah, it was um, I. I just to live, uh, um, listen to them, revving them up and uh, getting up them. And I remember one old KC, he, God, he was old. He come from, he played down Melbourne. I forget his name, but he was up here and he was, he was certainly over 40 and he he used to have a, a bottle of plonk or something and he'd take a couple of uh, mouthfuls of that and then get up the team for like, telling them bludges and pee hearts and everything. And, uh, <laughs> and he was, he was full as a good, I can tell you. <laughs> not, I was going to ask you if you took much from those in later life. I'm, t- I'm tipping not if this was what you were witnessing. Hey, um, you, you, you mentioned you mentioned school before, Johnny. Were, were you keen on it? School? Yeah. I, can, I hated the first day. I hated the last, and I hated everyone between. <laughs> I hated school. You didn't, you didn't hang around there for too long, did you? No, I left at 14, yeah. They, um, my mother said, if you pass the intermediate, you can leave. 
Otherwise, you've got to do it next year. Well, I passed, and um, it, was, um, it was a great thing. But, you know, it was about five years later, I wish I was back at school. I wish I would have um, learned a bit more. And um, well, no regrets about anything, but never. Yeah, yeah. So you, you're only 14 when you leave school, Johnny. How did you fill your days? I, I, had a, I went and got a job as a sign writer straight away. And... I think you were at, it might have been this place. Were you there for three decades or something, weren't you, working as a sign writer there? Is yeah, right? yeah, 32 years. Oh, and did I, was there an accident that you had as a young fella? Is that, I know we we're going to get to your own sporting pursuits in a moment, and I'm not sure whether this ended that or not, but what happened as a teenager there? Did you have an accident on the, on site? Uh, yeah, I had a fall off the ladder and, um, yeah, finished up. Uh, I was badly diagnosed. They used to give me... Uh, dango rub and um, great bandage but seven years later um, I was at the, the beach with a, a, a really good new now footballer called Bubsy Floyd and a bloke that Bubsy knew from South saw me foot and he said geez what's wrong with that and, um, I told him and he threw him he steered me in I finished up I had it operated on and it had a triple fusion in it and the other leg they manipulated that under anaesthetic but yeah it left me a little bit um, uh, sore and sorry that that was seven years later Johnny yes yeah Wow. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Well, boxing is about to enter Johnny Lewis's life. That's next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're chatting to world-renowned boxing trainer, Johnny Lewis. So, Johnny, tell us about the Newtown Police Boys Club and and the special place, I'm sure, that it holds in your life. Oh, look, it played a massive part in my life. Um, yeah, it used to be eight years to 18 years. And um, anyhow, the, the sergeant up there, my brother was eight, and he let me come in, but he, the only thing he let me do was play ping pong, you know. And uh, <laughs> when, 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 uh, when I was eight, you know, you could do anything you wanted to do. But I remember um, would have been about 11, and we used to go up there and, do different things and some nights we'd go up and have a spa and um it, you know we might go once a week or twice a week and uh with no intentions of boxing and um it was about 13 14 that i started to go past larry robbins gym down erskineville and have a look there and, and then started to i was doing the boxing as well as playing a bit of football and um i virtually you know from that point on i've uh, been involved with boxing so i think you started training in there as a a 13 year old now was that to keep fit for league or or were you really diving right into the sport at that stage oh look i just um it was just like um i'd have to say that Football was um, meant more to me, but um, the as like each oh, month went past, um, I really started to um, love the sport of boxing. Yeah, I loved it. And I wanted to ask you about some of the coaches of the time, um, Snowy McFadden, I think uh, Dick O'Connor, and, and probably countless others I'm not going to mention, but that 
amateur boxing roadshow, if you like. It took you all over the place. Orange, Cowra, Singleton. Uh, are these some of the most fond memories that you've got of uh, of pulling the gloves on yourself? Look, that was one of the big things when, uh, you know, we'd be up training and someone would say, oh, you can put your name down to go to Griffith. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had like a, a mini bus sort of thing. And um, to go away was like um, we didn't, uh, ever go on holidays or anything like that, but all of a sudden, like going to Griffith and um, Orange and uh, down the South Coast, and uh, went to little places like Captain's Flat and that around Canberra. Um, it, it, it it was a big deal for us, and um, uh, you know we got billeted out or stayed in hotels and um, had some good meals and. Uh, we we put our na- now our names down pretty much as quick as we could, and um, yeah, so that was from about thirteen uh, when I was doing that. Yes. And how did you go, Johnny, from boxing to boxing coach initially? I mean, was it was that by design or was it by accident? Oh, certainly by accident. Um, uh, Dick O'Connor was our trainer, and he left, and he said, "I'll be back in five weeks." You keep your eye on them because we've got a good team here and uh, just uh, keep them training because uh, we're gonna, we've got a real good team and uh, we'll have a good good year and uh, so be it. But um, the five weeks went, Dick never came and then, then the five weeks were five months and it finished up that it was December and the young uh, understudy that was with the club said they got um, a wrap day with the knuckles because we hadn't been to one boxing event uh, in that calendar period and he said we've, we've got to go to Parramatta it's the last one of the year and we must be up there and I said oh good I said he's going to be in our corner and he said you and me I said oh I can't do that Anyhow, he said, well, I'm going to get in with you and I can't do it. So anyhow, I can't remember exactly, but I um, I think it was we, we had five kids or it could have even been seven, but um, every one of them won. And um, I remember talking to the, the sergeant coming home in the bus. He said, um, we're going to keep this going over this holiday and <clears throat> you'll look after them from January next year, and that's how it came about, yeah. Yeah. I think you're only 17 at this stage, Johnny. So had you got the bug by this point? Was it love at first first fight or first sight? Yeah, I liked it, and I knew that, uh, well, it was only a couple of... uh, It's it's certainly... um, I'm uh, I'm wise enough to know that I I would be better outside than inside, and (laughs) um, so God was looking after me in that aspect. (laughs) <laughs> bit safer on the other side of the ropes too, of course. Yeah, it's safe, but you know you got to make sure that you don't get too brave and um, let the kids get beaten up. Yeah, mm. always, you know, they are the ones that count. The yeah, ones that matter. Yeah, and there's a responsibility with that, of course, which I'm sure you would have been aware of. So, Johnny, what did you come to look for in a fighter? I mean, what if I was to ask you what you know the one or one of the non-negotiables are? What would you say? Um, look, I, when you when you know these kids are young, and, and as I say, I wasn't much older than them really, and 
when when they were turning up every night uh, on time, you, you knew that you had something to work with. And um, then some would uh, reach a standard very early, others a little bit longer. But um, you know, they they all they all uh, contributed to each other. Like you know, they we kept the sparring in house. We didn't go to other gyms. We we always done it there, but um, yeah, it, it, that's that's how I got into it anyhow, to the fullest. Yeah, so I guess those characteristics, you know, discipline, um, focus, um, and for all the success stories that you've had, and we'll get to them later in the individuals, I mean, how many, have you lost count, Johnny, the amount of, I guess, fighters that you've seen that, that might have the skill, um, but not the desire? Uh, yeah, there's, there's, you know, you're hard to rattle them off, but... Mm. I've seen, I've seen um, uh, where, you know, there's been fighters that, that, that with discipline they would have stood tall, and um, but they um, they didn't they didn't want it as much as they they should have, or they didn't want to work together, you know, and um, they, they might look back one day and say, God, if only I would have done this, I could have done that, and um, but um, yeah, there's been this. You know, there's been uh, blokes that have been a bit unlucky and getting bad decisions and um, <clears throat> and have spoiled their careers to the point where they uh, just automatically give it away and so forth. You're with This Is Your Journey. It's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can find them online at tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll be right back with Johnny Lewis after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with revered boxing trainer Johnny Lewis. Johnny, 1981, and a young rugby league player named Jeff Fennick arrives at the gym for some fitness uh, and some fitness work. What what happens next? Um, well, I had a kid that was fighting up there that had, had a few years under his belt. <clears throat> and um young kid was just sitting down on the seat watching and uh, never said nothing. And uh, I just happened to say, mate, we've got to try and get someone to spar us. We need some sparring. And this kid said, I'll spar him. And I said, oh, mate, we don't work that way. You've got to do a bit of training. And, uh, you know, then you can um, get in and have a spar when you get a little bit of knowledge and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, I said, mate, if you, if you want to come, come up tomorrow, be here at five o'clock or whatever i got there a little bit early and here's this kid waiting down with his bag and um that was um that was young jeff Bennett and um i it was amazing how like 81 he's come up never had a fight 80 82 uh 83 australian uh eminent champion 84, he's the captain of the Australian Olympics. Got horribly robbed in um, a fight that would have seen him going to the final and and fight Steve McCrory, who he finished up stopping after that. Um, but 
it just you you couldn't believe. And when he won that title, the, uh, the world title, um, the Japanese were very cranky of the, of the stoppage by the referee. But uh, he done a good job by stopping it. And um, in a couple of months, we fought him again, and Jeff knocked him out very in a couple of rounds. It just showed how quickly he was improving. But <clears throat> I always quote Jack Gibson as you only take out what you put in, and nobody put in as much or as hard as Jeff Frenick did. Yeah, what well, what was it like being in the corner for Jeff? I mean, how uh, Johnny? How big was his heart? Oh, like a lion. He um, he was tough and he was game. Um, he he had fighter written all over him, Jeff. You know, it was um, it, it was a wonderful period in my life to um, just watch this kid. How much he wanted it. How much he forsook to do it. His um, his discipline was paramount, and um, he. Um, what would you say? He he's um, he just knew what he wanted, and very young, and uh, in in the sport of that time. But he just raised to the top quicker than anyone I've ever seen. As we know, Jeff doesn't possess a one-punch knockout, but he does wear boxes down. He's hitting him here with enough to wear a brick wall down. I think they're going to have to watch Samat's head. Samat's getting very free with the head. Fayakarunda standing there and letting Fennec hit him. Well, the only thing that's getting Jeff Fennec time is throwing punches. Another warning there to Fennec to stop pushing. He's hitting So three times a world champion in three weight divisions, the Bantamweight, Super Bantamweight, and the Featherweight. Now, he came back, didn't he, as a, a Super Featherweight after that Featherweight title. Now, I wanted to take you, Johnny, to 1991, and it's his first meeting with Azuma Nelson. Now, um, the highlights we could go on about forever, but I, I wanted to ask you about this fight at Caesars Palace in, in Vegas against Azuma. What are your memories of it? I, I'm assuming, you know, remembering it, it was one of the low lights for him for him and for you and just about everyone present i think including even mike tyson who was fighting on the night thought he'd been robbed oh look he, he was robbed blatantly and um it you know it could have been worse they could have given him uh they made it a draw conveniently but um mm. he, they could have been uh or, or more so and made out the uh Azuma had won it rounds of boxing we have a split decision and here are the score totals judge at ringside jerry roth scores about 115 113 for jeff fennick Judge at ringside, Miguel Donate scores about 116-112, Azuma Nelson. Then judge at ringside, Dave Moretti scores about 114 to 114, a draw. The decision is even a draw. Oh, goodness, that is mind-boggling. And look at the reaction by Jeff Fedek. He is in total disbelief. No way, he says. It's a draw. Yeah, it, it, it was, yeah, it was very hard to take because I always, well, I, I, I knew that there was no one that could, on earth that could beat him at that nine stone. And, uh, and then I'd be, 
fight him at uh, at the nine four weight and win that. Uh, I was very confident that we'd win the second the second one as well, but um, it wasn't to be. Mm. Mm. Uh, Jeff Harding, I wanted to ask you about. Geez, he was a rugged fighter. So he won the WBC light heavyweight title with that 12th round TKO uh, against a man we spoke about earlier, Dennis Andrees. And I think it was only his 15th professional fight. Now, that belt for Jeff came and went a couple of times. But this first one against Dennis, before the 12th round, I think he was behind on all three judges' cards, Johnny. He was bleeding around both eyes. I think he had a busted nose. Yet, what did you say to him before he went out in the 12th round? Well, you know, in the ninth and 10th round, Andre, every time Jeff hit him underneath, he'd run, and they were hurting him. And Jeff was a very good puncher with the hooking and the ribbing to the body. And um, he came home so, so good. And um, I think, I, I think you know, thinking back, I remember I, I got him up off the stool, I said, and I said, uh, go out and come back champion of the world. You've got him. And he, he went out there, two knockdowns, and, and he couldn't go down, down again because Jeff was hitting him so many punches, keeping him up. But uh, <laughs> the referee wisely jumped in between them and uh, called the fight off, and Jeff Harding was uh, WBC light heavyweight. He doesn't seem to have a lot underneath him. Is Jeff Harding to put together a series? Oh! Oh, and there it is! The combination of Andre's is down. So, Johnny, at moments like this, as as trainer, as coach, as, as mentor and all those things, do you, do you feel the pressure to say the right thing at the right time or did it just come naturally? Oh, I think naturally. Yeah, I think naturally. And and, and yeah, the one thing you've got to do is to realise that everyone's an individual and what works for Jeff Fennick doesn't mean it's going to work for a Justin Roussel or Gary Sinclair. And everyone's an individual and you 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 pick up things when you're doing the pads with them, and you know you you're real hands on with them with the pads. I, I really like working with them in, with the pads. Mm. You met Kostyuzu in Russia. You were coaching the Australian amateur team at the World Championships in Moscow. But Johnny, how did it come to be that Kostya would move to Australia permanently to train under you? Yeah, um, we seen Kostya fight. He got beat by a, a, a East German boxer, but I. I was taken back with Costa. There's just something, you know, about him. And um, anyhow, I spoke to the doctor over there because Costa didn't speak English. I spoke to him and said, gee, I'd like to take him to Australia and blah, blah, blah. And anyhow, he, um, um, I went to a few more, uh, to Indonesia and to uh, Thailand where they had King's Cups and President's Cups. <clears throat> and um, it was there that I spoke to Costa and um, uh, the, the doctor could speak English. And, and uh, I was just talking to Costa and he seemed 
to be um, interested. And then when Costa came here, I forget what year it was, maybe 1991 or something, that um, to the World Amateur Championship held in Australia, uh, Bill Morty and myself went and met him uh, after the fight where he, where he won. And um, we took him to... Uh, Doyle's um, on the water there at Watson's Bay and um, anyhow Bill was talking to him and anyhow he agreed to come back uh, yeah, do his boxing out of Australia so, so what, it was a wonderful thing to do. Yeah what were you what did you see in him Johnny in those really early days then? Uh, it wasn't his punching power but it just I don't know just I just looked at him and as I said he got beat sort of said I'd rather have the loser than the winner and um you know he uh, he finished up in thailand he he beat he beat the salmon bloke yeah beat him well he'd become wbc wba ibf champion you know an, an absolute great of the sport in this country i you did mention i think in your biography um johnny that there might have been a rift between you two at the end oh, can can you let us in on what might have happened there um yeah um but yeah, I think what happened was when um, when the uh, bust up with Morty came, I um, I felt um, really bad. I stayed with Costa because I felt that um, you know I I played a part, a big part in t- talking him into coming here, and, and uh, we had a lot a lot more uh, progress to make, and uh, and I honestly thought that no one would do the job as good as Morty did, and you know, we could rekindle it all again, but um, uh, that didn't work. I I did stay with Costa, but um, oh, there was a few little things that went down, and um, I, um, you know, I like trust, but you know what happened to Bill? It really, it really hurt me, and uh, unfortunately, uh, we never ever spoke again. You know, and um, mm. uh, I had a lot of admiration for Bill, and um, yeah, but. Um, yeah, as I say, it was always in the back of my uh, mind that, you know, it should never have happened or whatever. But anyhow, things happen. Yeah, you go with whatever you think. But that's what I did. Nice right hand in this round was Kostya Zuz clearly evening things up. And ending strong. Down he goes. A right hand. He's in trouble. He's a real jump. Just coming back to his qualities in the in the ring, I think it's been said that he was Costa was as, as good a reader of a fight as anybody, Johnny. That he could see the way a fight was unfolding, and he had a great ability to to read the moment and seize the moment. Yeah, I remember a couple of fights that was pretty hectic, and and it was seesawing and whatever, whatever. And and I remember Costa come back and he'd say, "Don't worry, I've got him now. I've got him," and uh, he he did, and. Uh, he could position him for what, 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 whatever punch he wanted to fight. Uh, yeah, wonderful reader of the fight, Costa. We're talking to Johnny Lewis on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Live. Stay with us. We'll be back with Johnny right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. 
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. The great Johnny Lewis has been our guest today. Johnny, some of the things that became habitual for you as a trainer over the years, I think you would tape a white cross on each of your fighter's wrists, you know, one for your own fighter and one for his opponent in the ring. Why did you do that? Oh, you know, just, um, I can't say um, that I'm over with uh, religion, but um, it was my little thing of um, trust uh, that both two combatants would be all right at the end of the fight. And uh, Although we wanted to win by knockout at the count of 11, we'd like to see him up and saying where did that come from or whatever whatever we certainly don't go in there to see people seriously injured and um, um, you know becoming a fatality and uh, of things you know um, but I, I just did that I had a little bit of um, I just felt that uh, it, it would serve them well and uh, I always did it and uh, I look back on it. If it did work, that's terrific because we were never left uh, seeing someone very badly battered. It was mm. not to be like that. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned earlier how much you enjoyed, you know, working with the pads, you know, with, with your guys. I, you went to Thailand in your early 20s. Now, I, I think this is where you really struck a chord with you, didn't it? That the speed that the Thai boxers had with pads, and I think at this point, educate us, but um, back in your gym at Newtown, you know, target pads weren't really seen in Australia prior to that. It was it was all about using larger gloves as the target, wasn't it? Yeah, they used to, well, we used to do uh, punching with the cage and he'd put on the big 16-ounce gloves and we'd hit it into that or they'd um, get you on the bag and hold the bag and run you through your... Um, um, Punches and your combinations like that. Um, I I brought back that like a more like a, a baseball uh, pitchers uh, glove, and I yeah, sort of uh, doing it on that. And then uh, as we went along, uh, they changed shape a little bit. And uh, yeah, I, I think they're very very important uh, in training the pads. I do. And I don't know if there was the same message every time, but was was there a departing, you know, right before you send your fighter out there, was was there a departing word or words that were that were spoken? Did you get into the routine of delivering the, the same message every time? No, I don't think it would be the same. As I said earlier, everyone's an individual. And um, uh, if there was something I thought, you know, the last thing walking down the aisle or um, to the corner or, before the first round, I, I'd say it, uh, but uh, very much I believe that I can't remember what I said, but yeah, you know, that, you know and if they have if they have your trust, you're, you're lucky. Yeah, well, just on the trust, I, I was I was reading this week that you would often say or tell your, your fighters that you love them, that I love you before sending them out for the next round. Now, was that part of building? You know, you were looking for that trust. Look, um, I. Yeah, I think like um, if they know that. Look, I I I never ever trained anybody that I didn't want to. I I really cared for whoever I had, and um, I did love them. I wouldn't train them if I didn't love them, you know. And I 
I love the respect that they gave me at all times. And and as I said, um, uh, you, know, you shared with them in the victories and um, you shared with them in the spoils. But, um, yeah, I always, always loved my fighters, always. And the psychological stuff, Johnny. I mean, how much uh, how much attention did you pay to that? I think it was said that you would often push your fighter to the middle of the ring before the round began to to almost show a quick recovery and a high work rate to just strike. You know, not a demoralising blow, of course, but just that seed of doubt that my guy's ready. We're ready every time. We're ready first. Yeah, I think um, particularly with Jeff Fennick, like Jeff was a very big uh, fighter, and um, he. He would, um, when you, if the blokes there after the halfway marks and or you'd see them go back very tired in the legs and they'd plop down in the seat and I'd get Jeff up long before they'd say seconds out and have it, the bloke would look over and say, geez, here he comes again, like, you know, and uh, um, I think, I think, um, you know, he he fall a little bit with um, the mental strength that, um, uh, God, you know, like, here he comes. He looks like he hasn't done a, uh, a round yet. And he's, he's been belting me for five or six of them. And, um, uh, yeah, but as I said, individually, uh, you couldn't do that with everyone. But I like to get them up and uh, let them all see that our, that our blokes are trained hard and they could do that. Couple of things you had close by, I think, for for every fight, uh, Johnny. Pepman oil for for your guys to to sniff, you know, before and during the, the fight. And then I want to know about the personal solution with the with the fries balsam for the for the cuts. Ah, oh, that that all that that was all um, in the early days. But the rule now is that you only have um, adrenaline one one thousand, and that's all you use now. You can't have anything else. But there used to be. Um, Caladian and fries balsam and uh, yeah, a lot of little things like that. But uh, adrenaline one one thousand works, and uh, it's it can run into your eyes and not hurt you. And so uh, that was a good um, that was a good rule by the um, officials in the sport. Where's boxing at now, Johnny, as you look at it? I mean, um, you know, the emergence of UFC, uh, MMA as a whole and, and things like that. I mean, how big of a threat is this sort of stuff to, to the sport of boxing, do you think? A big a big threat. I don't, I don't say a threat, but it's a sport. And uh, they, um, for all like, the viciousness of it, um, you don't see anyone getting too hurt. Like they, they get chewed up like they've been in a mincer or something, but um, a lot of blood and so forth. But mm. um, it's their decision to do that, the kickboxing and whatever, whatever, jiu-jitsu, whatever, karate. Um, yeah, but I still think that boxing will always be the sweet science. You know, there's, as I said, um, it's very close to a game of chess when you're out there in a fight. If you do it that way and you and you, um, as I said, Costa could play chess, and um, he could he could do that to win a fight too. Are we in good hands with the the current and the next generation of, uh, of fighters in this country? Do you think? I think there's some very good young talent out there at the moment. Yeah, I do. And um, <clears throat> I um 
I I know there's various promoters doing the work, but I think that we're very fortunate uh, in New South Wales. I, I think the Rose Boys do a tremendous job, and Brian Armitrader down in Melbourne, he's he's very conscious of putting on good fights. Uh, yeah, so we work around them, and uh, uh, yeah, good things are happening. And I should, before I let you go, Johnny, I mean, how are you feeling your days uh, at the moment, your relationship with the sport uh, now? What does it all look like for you? Yeah, well, I, I, I didn't ever retire from it, but I I virtually did. Uh, but um, but I, I was fortunate that um, I saw young Harry Garside in his um, Olympic fights. Um, Peter Matreski Jr. asked me would I train him. He'd signed him up and I said no mate I won't and I said mate I'm finished. Anyhow then he said to me oh will you come and meet him. I said yeah I can do that. Anyhow we we met at Erskineville. I sat down with him and about two and a half minutes time I knew that I knew that I wanted to work with this kid. He just <laughs> captivated me and uh, he's a wonderful kid really wonderful and um, well yeah we've had uh, three now and he's won them all and um, he's uh, um, he's he's improving and um, I I think that um, Harry Harry can go all the way I really do yeah right two and a half minutes geez he worked you out quick He, he he played me off the break, he did. Yep. <laughs> Beautifully done. Well, let's hope we see more of it in the ring in uh, in the years to come. Johnny, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. You obviously developed a sharp eye for talent, but an even greater ability to harness that talent. As we said off the top, you're a winner, but you made other people around you winners as well, and I'm not sure there's a better legacy for a coach. So well done on everything you've achieved, and, and thanks a lot for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online and find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.